James Madison said the, the Constitution's parchment. The only thing that gives it any power is a thorough knowledge of the people. Um, so it really takes us as individual people to exercise vigilance in relationship to upholding the rule of law wherever we are. Welcome, everybody, to Conversations That Matter. I'm your host, Alex Newman. We have a very special guest today. He's a returning guest. Um, he is so incredibly knowledgeable on these things that seem arcane, you know, these policy issues, land, climate, federal law, uh, administrative procedure. Uh, he's actually a cattle rancher. Um, him and his family raise registered feeder calves in Montana. He's a senior research specialist and policy analyst specializing in federal and local government administrative procedures, land and natural resource policymaking, and local government relations. Um, he is a consultant with Landmark Resources Firm, and uh, he just he, he knows so much about so much. He's working with uh, policymakers at the state, local, and federal level all across the country. And uh, you know, even though he's not technically a lawyer, he knows more about the law in these areas than most of the lawyers I've talked to. Uh, he is helping with a lot of key projects. We'll see how much we can get into today. But uh, his name is Nathan Dishmaker. Uh, Nathan, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, did I get all that right before I ask you a question? Yeah, pretty pretty on key. Thanks for having me, Alex. Awesome. It's great to have you, Nathan. You're a returning guest and uh, you're just brilliant. So uh, very, very happy we could have you. Uh, before we get into the kind of arcane legal issues surrounding O'Biden's uh, uh, war on property rights and freedom and the law through climate policy, uh, I want to ask you about something that you sent to me. Uh, there is a Harvard professor now calling on the world to use neuroscience to help solve the environmental crisis. It's a, a paper called Minding the Climate. I think they have a book out. Um how would we use neuroscience to save us from climate change? Yeah. Yeah, that just came across my my feed here the last couple of weeks as well. And that's a good question. I think what what academia is realizing, even with all the propaganda they're pushing with climate change and uh, wanting people to buy into the green green investment schemes that are out there, um, they're not getting the public uh, backing in, in many respects that I think they want. So, so they're having to resort to um, more controlling mechanisms, it appears, like this Harvard gal and Christine Duhame. I may be pronouncing her last name wrong, but um, yeah, she, she specifically has published some works and is working on stuff for medical interventions to reprogram people basically to sacrifice the climate. Uh, she thinks and her, her ideas that we aren't followers of climate hysteria because we aren't capable of thinking and acting long-term and still have to be reprogrammed. We gotta think differently, I guess, than we think in a free world and, and think more how we can sacrifice uh, the freedoms and other things we, we have for, for environment and the climate, apparently. Yeah, it, it really reminds me of the Soviet Union, kind of like, well, if you don't appreciate communism, you must have something wrong with your brain. So we're just going to give you some treatments and then, then we'll make it all better. Right. Uh, fascinating, Nathan. Uh, now, I, I, what I really wanted to talk to you about was um, what's going on with 
the Biden administration. Uh, they are promulgating rules faster than anybody in the world can keep up with them, right? There's all these different agencies promulgating all these different rules to supposedly implement, you know, Agenda 2030, Sustainable Development, the Paris Agreement, all the rest of it. Uh, and a lot of this is happening just in a totally lawless fashion. I mean, in direct contravention of statutes passed by Congress and signed into law by presidents. Um, talk a little bit about the lawlessness to implement this climate agenda and how we may be able to turn the tide on that. Yeah, well, it all started with the Biden executive orders, um, a whole host of them, but 13990, 1408 in particular, uh, 1408 rejoined the Paris Accord, set out the goal for 30 by 30, the 30% of waters and lands permanently conserved by 2030. And take note, those numbers are targets and objectives. Those are timetables that are being established by executive orders. And we have statutes on the books, the main cornerstone law that governs our lands that are federally administered in the West in particular, Congress was clear in saying that it is the policy of the Congress of the United States that all timetables or goals and objectives are to be established by law. And that means through the Congress, through the Senate, across the president's desk. So none of these objectives and goals, 30 by 30, this date, or 50% reduction of greenhouse gas emissions by 2030, you know, net zero by 2050, none of those objectives have been established by law through the bicameral legislative process that our constitution demands. So on their face, it's just really executive edict that is um, using the administrative state and bureaucracy and the environmental lobby and the NGOs are really doing this because they've tried since the convention, uh, Rio de Janeiro in the early nineties to try to get Congress to act on, you know, broad, environmental policy and they really haven't succeeded. So because Congress hasn't passed any laws to justify landscape scale biodiversity conservation initiatives, they're now using the current administration as they have in the past to really press as hard as they can to use the executive branch and executive departments and agencies to get as much as they can in place um, to make some of these things irreversible and push the policy forward for decarbonization and to meet these international objectives. And and so the Paris Agreement, I guess, is really key here. I, in the second segment, I want to talk about how, how people can push back, how states can push back on this. But the Paris Agreement is really fundamental to all of this. Now, this was not a treaty. The Senate did not ratify it, but Obama claimed it was an executive agreement and that we were going to slash CO2 emissions. Uh, and that really is a critical um, kind of backdrop behind all of these policies that are coming down, huh? Well, absolutely, you know, and that's the disconnect in domestic policy. We're not connecting the dots to the international um, scheme of things that's taking place. And international objectives and timetables and, and goals are a huge driving factor of domestic land use policy in, in the United States. And we need to start connecting those dots because it's those international commitments um, I mean, even these federal departments on the federal register notices for all these rules they're promulgating, they're not they're not saying they're following the CMA guidance or the IPCC good guidance for for these inventories and all these things. But if you read the nationally determined contribution, which was established by the same federal departments that are promulgating the rules through the federal register, all that is in there. And those departments are committed to following international guidance. And ironically enough, they're ignoring domestic policy and guidance that they're supposed to be following. Meanwhile, they're not being transparent 
entirely on the Federal Register notifications for their rulemaking on how they're going to use these inventories and what they're doing with our land use policy to report that to the international community as, as a contribution to our nationally determined contribution for those decarbonization objectives. And that's all under the Paris Accord. Yeah, it, it's really amazing. So Congress passes laws. The executive branch is, of course, in charge of enforcing those laws. Instead, they completely ignore those laws. They promulgate or publish a bunch of edicts lining up uh, our policies with those demanded by international organizations like the UN. And then we're just expected to obey and comply. When we get back on the other side of this break, we're going to ask Nathan about how we can fight back. In fact, a lot of fighting back is already happening, although you wouldn't know it from watching the fake media. But stay with us. We'll be right back with more. Hi, I'm Alan Keyes, and I want to say a good word for the New American magazine. Uh, not only because Alex Newman has joined us as somebody who is periodically hosting a show, but because New American magazine represents an alternative media that is willing to tell people the truth. Reading New American magazine can keep you up to the minute on the issues that are challenging us as a people. Visit thenewamerican.com today. Use the promo code NEWMAN to get $10 off the price of a print subscription. Welcome back to Conversations That Matter. I am Alex Newman, your host. We are with Nathan Deshmaker. He is an extraordinary analyst, um, knows more about federal law and administrative procedure on these things than many of the lawyers I have talked to about these issues uh, who actually specialize in these areas. So it's, it's truly an honor and a pleasure to speak with him. He's also uh, raising calves, registered feeder calves in Montana. He's a rancher. Uh, and a family man and uh, and a great American. Uh, Nathan, before we went to break, we were talking about some of the lawless uh, policies being issued by the Biden administration, by all the uh, alphabet soup of federal agencies out there, and how they really have no basis in law. Now, a number of states and, and even local governments have gotten concerned enough about this that they are filing suits or planning to file suits. Um, do you think the courts are a viable strategy for push. I mean, we, we did see them eventually push back a lot of the COVID stuff. We're seeing them now unwind a lot of the attacks on free speech. Uh, do you think the courts can be used to unwind a lot of these lawless uh, executive decrees, regulations, orders, edicts, memoranda, et cetera, that are trying to drastically reshape our country? Yeah, I think I think that is an important avenue. The judicial branch, you know, is is a important uh individual branch of our government to call into check uh, the other ones uh, to the Constitution when they're out of line. But at the same time, the judiciary is a double-edged sword in many respects with the federal uh, circuit courts and leading up to the Supreme Court. Uh, the Supreme Court, uh, for the most part, has been coming out, as you said, with some really favorable decisions on multiple fronts. And there's some litigation still moving up, up now on some of these items. I'm working on some some issues that relate to states um, because we don't just have the federal government that's out of line here. We have a coalition of state governors, the United States Climate Alliance, which was formed uh, 2017 when the Trump administration pulled out of the Paris Accord. They were formed specifically to uphold those international objectives and timetables and carry those things forward. But Article 1, Section 10 of the U.S. Constitution explicitly prohibits states from, from doing that. So... So you have pretty on your face uh, structural violation, in my opinion, of the Constitution of state governors going over to Glasgow, Scotland and Egypt and wherever else saying we're going to use 60 percent of our gross domestic product to transition the entire North American economy, 
no matter what the federal government's stance is on this. That's that's happening, and most people don't realize. We, we see Biden doing all this stuff and whatnot, but we have a coalition of state governors through executive branches of states, and some legislative sides of the states are kind of off-key on this too, but that's a huge issue, um, and I'm working on uh, some potentials in, in that front. I have a document that's going to be hopefully sooner than later be broadly disseminated for more more to the public and, and out there and all ro it's it's entitled all roads lead to paris it's an administrative chronology that Biden administration executive orders that are implementing this and it also documents those interrelationships between the federal government and these coalition states and how they're actually bringing these forward on the ground I'm very much looking forward to that document, Nathan. But uh, what what can regular citizens do who maybe are not legal analysts or lawyers or politicians or judges? You know, what what can just regular everyday Americans just trying to lead productive lives and and raise their families and feed their families and run their farms or run their businesses? Uh, what what can they do to to try to get this under control? And and why do they need to be involved? I mean, what's at stake here? Yeah, well, I think our constitutional republic demands citizen involvement wherever the sphere of influence that you are in life. So I would, you know, I always say to people, for starters, you got to be established in the principles um, that are that undergird our, our system of freedom and our republican form of government, life, liberty and property. Um, so if you if you haven't studied into that, uh, do a little bit of homework and there's tons of resources out there. Alex, you have. Uh, tons of resources through your different avenues and other organizations out there to learn more about our heritage or Judeo-Christian heritage, where we come from as a people, and why it takes... James Madison said the, the Constitution's parchment. The only thing that gives it any power is a thorough knowledge of the people. Um, so it really takes us as individual people to exercise vigilance in relationship to upholding the rule of law wherever we are, um, you know, I happen to be in more rural setting and in the West where we have a lot of federal lands and natural resource issues, which affects all of us at the end of the day. And in the, if, if people are in that realm that are listening, these rules that are going through these processes, and this is where I do a lot of work, they go through public comment processes where agencies are re required to respond to the substantive comments that are submitted into the record. So... We need to be the other side. The environmental lobby is equipping the record on these rulemaking processes all the time. So we're in Montana. We're changing those dynamics. We're we're working with local officials. I serve as a director on the Montana Grass Conservation Commission and on the local supervisor in the local conservation district. And we're we're bringing substantive comments into the record in these processes. And then if agencies don't listen. Uh, to what you're saying they have to look at and, and abide by in these processes, that's where you throw that throw that into the courts because they have Administrative Procedures Act violations when they ignore public comments on their rulemaking. So, so those are some areas that the public can be involved in. If there's lands in your area where federal agencies are issuing rules that govern how those lands will be utilized or accessed, there's comment periods for you to Put your word in and to comment and make your opinions known in the process. Yep. And uh, the last time we talked by phone, you gave me some encouraging news. You had been um, meeting with some people in Congress and 
Uh, really encouraging stuff coming out of the uh, House Appropriations Committee. It looks like some of this is going to be defunded, um, uh, or at least they're, they're going to make a try to, to defund this. Of course, all appropriations have to start in the House of Representatives. But uh, what's going on in Congress that uh, that is encouraging right now? Well, there's an appropriations bill that came out a couple weeks ago that had some very good cuts, especially on the climate front. There was over 30 special envoys um, that they're prohibiting. That would include John Kerry and and his his position as being the, the climate czar going over into the international community to promote America's supposedly America's interest on the climate objectives and different things. Um, and UNESCO in that was was uh, defunded, or at least it's in the appropriations initially. We'll see what happens as these things move forward. But there's a lot of clawbacks, and the Congress is doing some good things, at least uh, to cut off um, some of these communications that have not been ratified by the Senate into the international community through the executive branch, and they're cutting uh, money that's used. For instance, John Kerry shouldn't be using taxpayer money to fly over in a jet to Glasgow or wherever, uh, propagating a mission for this country that the Congress has not established by law. Yep. Fantastic. Uh, Nathan, we're just about out of time, but uh, any final thoughts and how can people follow you or stay on top of the excellent work that you're doing if there's any way to do that? Well, I, you know, I, I function, I'm, I'm working on that. I'm, I'm pretty busy just engaging on the issues. So I don't have a lot of time to develop some of those, those avenues, but I am working on some avenues that'll be at a later date of uh, getting a website set up and, and, a and a private membership association I'm bringing online landmark resource MT. That's going to be an or a membership based organization to support the work that I'm doing and others to represent it's like I said earlier, there's common processes on these things and different things, and a lot of people don't have the time or ability to engage on those things. So we're creating a framework to represent those property rights interests and bring their voice into the administrative process so that we are able to speak on behalf of the people that live on the ground rather than outside special interest organizations. So that'll be coming at a later date. Um, so maybe come back on at a later time and we can we can discuss that. Fantastic. Nathan Dishmaker, thank you so much for uh, all the work that you're doing. Thank you for spending some time with us. Really appreciate it. And uh, keep us updated on developments. Um, we uh, very much appreciate hearing from you and all the work that you're doing. Yeah, same to you, Alex. Thank you very much. All righty. Thank you so much, Nathan. All righty, folks. That was Nathan Dishmaker uh, doing incredibly important work. Uh, stay tuned. We'll have him again to break down some of the important happenings. And I want to thank you for watching. Share this out with your friends. Send it to your members of Congress, your state lawmakers, maybe your attorney general, state attorney general. Uh, we need all hands on deck right now to fight back against the lawlessness. I'm Alex Newman. This is Conversations That Matter for the New American Magazine. Until next time, thanks for watching. And God bless you all. In 1988, the John Birch Society produced a documentary so predictive, it's as though they had a time machine. Out of Control, Immigration Invasion was produced and hosted by investigative reporter William F. Jasper and looks at the growing problem of unrestricted illegal immigration that, in 1988, already saw upwards of 10 to 20 million illegal aliens within the borders of the U.S. Unknown agents from around the world using the southern border as easy entry. Certainly, some are innocent families escaping hardship, 
but also certainly some are criminals, potentially terrorists? Is it not appropriate that there be some criteria for the entry of any sovereign nation? Why should the US be different than Canada, Germany, Russia, Japan, or every other country on the planet? Out of control, immigration invasion. Watch this time capsule of prescient wisdom at thenewamerican.com slash out of control.